This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion, including above and beyond cancer. It's River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. The pandemic has faded, but many workers have not returned to the office. Perhaps you were one of those people who continues to work entirely from home or have a hybrid style, uh, combining work at home with some time at the office. Is this the new normal? Well, it seems to be. Not going back to the office the way we did in pre-pandemic times means vacant office space, uh, causing some companies uh, leasing space to close their offices or to relocate for one reason or another. And what about those building owners? What are they experiencing? Today, we explore how remote working is forcing cities around the country and here in Iowa to rethink their downtown economic landscape. And we'd love to have you join us today. Our guests uh, will focus mainly on the Des Moines metro area and also Cedar Rapids later in the program. But perhaps you have a related story or experience to relay from another community in Iowa. 1-866-780-9100. 1-866-780-9100. Or email us, river to river at iowapublicradio.org. Joining us for the full hour, uh, Mike McCree. He's a real estate broker for CBRE Group Incorporated, also associate professor of practice in real estate development at Iowa State University. Mike, welcome to our program. Good morning and uh, good afternoon, Ben. Thanks for having me. All right. I understand you grew up in Des Moines, but you've been doing real estate in the area for some time, uh, 20 years. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, born and raised here in Des Moines. Uh, I did my undergrad at University of Iowa and was uh, part of the first cohort of classes that completed the uh, MRAD or Master's of Real Estate Development at Iowa State. Uh, graduated in 2021 and uh, stayed uh, with the program to help uh, help grow it and complete it. And now I'm teaching the uh, real estate development course there as well. Okay. With your depth of years, it's you're the perfect person to ask a little bit about the context for what we're seeing now uh, with your decades of experience. Um, with what Des Moines has, has experienced in the past 20 years, take us back a little bit where to where it makes sense, because we know Des Moines and its downtown has really become a vibrant place, has transformed itself uh, over the past few years. Walk us up. Uh, up to the point just before the pandemic in in the way the downtown has been transformed? Well, when you talk about Des Moines, uh, you know, I think back to when I grew up. I grew up on the south side of Des Moines. And as you would drive up Fleur Drive and you drive in by uh, what is uh, the, what was Tech Campus and, and you drive into downtown, it is, to say it is completely different from what it was 20 years ago, it, there is such an understatement. Every single block Every single street corner, every single building, in most cases, every single street has been completely rebuilt to the point where it is to the point it's almost unrecognizable from what it was 20 years ago. Then you fast forward to the pandemic where end of 19, there was a huge push for housing and redevelopment. And we were still under a construction boom uh, through the downtown area. We get into the pandemic. And you have a instantaneous switch, not just in downtown office markets, but across the, the, the U.S. and across the world, where all of a sudden nobody's going in the office and you're supposed to stay home, which was odd to say the least. 
that has changed and changed the way we utilize office space and changed the way that we utilize really real estate in general uh, over the last four years. I don't know that it has settled and I don't know that it has formalized into what it will end up being, uh, but it has definitely changed and is not the way that it was pre-January 2020. Mm-hmm. So not settled in a bit of a limbo state, perhaps another way of saying it. Mike, I read in the New York Times that just under one-third of America's workdays now done from home. Um, I don't know if you have any stats there in the Des Moines area. One-third sounds like a, uh, I mean, we have not come back to pre-pandemic eras. There are a lot of empty offices there. Um, do you happen to know the vacancy rate uh, in the area? Vacancy rates, actually, so there was a report that came out with uh, that CBRE puts out. There's several different groups that put out uh, market information on the greater part of the metro area Des Moines. Vacancy rates uh, for Q3 in the Des Moines area were actually down. Uh, across the metro, they're about 16%. Uh, if you look back historically, uh, that's on the higher end. Uh, of what vacancy rates are, but vacancy rates, on the, especially on the office side, never get really, really low in the low single digits. Mm-hmm. They're always in the higher single digits, even closer to the the double digits. So, uh, so ten percent. You're saying something around? Yeah, there. yeah. It, that would not uh, that would not be surprising. Now, the other thing you have to remember, and there's a term I used uh, in a conversation I had several weeks ago when it relates to office space. The use of space is, as it's coming out of the pandemic, I would call it bifurcated. You have groups and businesses that are very close-knit. They are local. They live within maybe three to five miles of their office, and they're small offices, less than 20, maybe up to 50 people. And they're all coming in, and they've been coming into the office for the last four years anyways. Uh, those mm. offices are still full. Maybe their their uh, their operations have changed. Where if you want to work from home on a day, if you want to uh, maybe not be in the office all the time, that's you you can do that. Uh, but those offices are predominantly full, and those are actually, frankly, the offices that are still expanding. Uh, when you look, yeah, at and the, so it's yeah. So so Mike, just to, to pause on that point for a moment. So that is a. Uh, we have some takeaways there. That those are lessons that um, that other more uh, empty office buildings can learn from. What is drawing people back to those types of offices you just described? Well, there's 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 two things I'll get to on that. The second, let's get to the let's get to the counter of that part. The counter of that part okay. is the larger footprint spaces that are designed with uh, let's say more corporate tenants that those employees are coming down to the space. And the reason why they've been going there is because their employers have said they have to be there. They're going into the office, they're working, but the work that they're doing is not necessarily requiring them to be there. It's just they're there because they're required to be there. Mm. They're, those, those jobs, those people are can work from home. And so that's the dynamic that you're seeing where the shift, as you stated earlier from the article from the Wall Street Journal, those one-third of, of work hours that are working from home are people that don't need to be in the office. There's something that's not happening. Um, one thing that I look at on the both on the – when I talk to my students at Iowa State and then also when I put my regular day job hat on and, and work in real estate and brokerage, 
what what is the actual use of these spaces and how are we using them? And what I've identified is there's really five things that you have to look at with these spaces. And this is getting to answer your question. If mm-hmm. you're if you're protecting people, if you're protecting product, you're protecting information. If you have a HIPAA regulation that requires a license of some kind medically, you have to have an office. Or if you are governmentally licensed, that you have to have a physical address. You are going to be in the office. If you don't meet or hit one of those five categories, you don't need to be there. Mm. And so this tells us what about the future? It tells us, it tells me, similarly, when we came out of the uh, financial crisis in 08, we had similar criteria and similar things happening in in various asset classes coming out of 08. It's not going to be the same as it was. It's just going to be a little different. And we just have to understand how things are shifting, how the market is changing, and how the utilization of real estate and space in general is changing and how that will be adapted, both in revitalization, both in remodeling, and frankly, in new construction and how those those adaptations will happen. And that's where working with people like Carrie and working with economic development and working with the cities is so vital. Uh, to make those adaptations and make those things happen, to make those things work. Right. Carrie will be joining us in just a moment, but uh, talk a little bit bit more about um, the the companies that have leased office space in the past. Uh, What is their situation? How are they coping? Um, Are they perhaps... uh, are they being delinquent on, on paying for, for the, the, the rental space? So speaking just kind of generically, uh, as a market, we haven't seen the delinquencies uh, kick in uh, on, on rents as we did, say, in 08. Uh, so that hasn't, uh, that hasn't been a factor yet. Um, we haven't seen a huge sub-market uh, kick in. The now, there has been... Uh, Markets. There has been certain tenants uh, that are larger footprints that have put big blocks of space up for sublease that just don't need that space anymore. Once again, mm-hmm. if you have people that are working in a space and their only reason why they're there is because their company says they have to be there, they don't need that space. And so those type of spaces have gone up on on the market for sublease. Uh, that will continue to correct itself. And those spaces will be repurposed, reused, possibly sold, revitalized, and some other use will come in, and uh, we'll find a new way to use it. And maybe get back Mm -hmm. to the the, yeah, get back to the start of the conversation where we talked about how Des Moines has changed over the last twenty years. You look at what Des Moines was, especially when you drive down Grand Avenue or Ingersoll or Locust Street. As you go in through Des Moines, if you've been into town for any of the events or anything uh, in the last year or two. 90%, 95% of the structures that you see have had some type of restoration, remodeling, or been built in that time period. Hmm, very interesting. Okay, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back with Mike McCree. He has plenty more to share. Real estate broker for CB 
R.E. Group Incorporated, also an associate professor of practice uh, in real estate development at Iowa State University, grew up in Des Moines, has been in real estate in the area for some 20 years. And uh, we're talking uh, this hour about um, workers not going back to the office the way uh, we have in pre-pandemic times, people working entirely from home or hybrid style, the degree to which this is impacting our cities across the state. If you'd like to join us um, with the story from your community, we'll be touching on Cedar Rapids later in the hour, but perhaps you have a related story or experience from another Iowa community, one 780 River to River at iowapublicradio.org. Oh, you had to know we would have some theme music, an alternative theme music having to do with office. And we'll be back in just a moment. It's River to River from IPR News. This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion, including above and beyond cancer. This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion, including above and beyond cancer. Back with more of River to River from IPR News, I'm Ben Kiefer. Workers not returning to offices the way we were in pre-pandemic levels this hour. What those empty offices mean for a downtown's economy. How empty offices are shifting the economic uh, landscape and uh, forcing, um, well, the players in all this uh, to um, cope with it and to um, find their way in this new economic landscape. Joining us, Mike McCree, a real estate broker, uh, grew up in the Des Moines area, a long time working in real estate in the area, also has a faculty position at Iowa State University, as a professor of practice in real estate development. Join us, one 780 9100 or email us, river to river at iowapublicradio.org. Perhaps your community uh, has uh, some take on our theme today that you'd like to share. Uh, but before we uh, add uh, another guest to our conversation, uh, Mike, I wanted to ask you a little bit more uh, about you know, how this is impacting the downtown area. You gave a great description description of how uh, the downtown in the last 20 years compared to 20 years ago is practically unrecognizable in Des Moines and improved so much for the better, and then how this um, pandemic has affected it. You talked about repurposing. What are the themes that you see that um, fit into that repurposing? So when you talk about the themes for repurposing, it really gets down to the types of uses. And when you're talking about types of uses, it's the types of tenants, whether it's office environment, what are the types of businesses that are coming? Are these, uh, you know, the traditional uh, insurance and finance-based businesses that we have in the in Iowa and especially in, in the Des Moines area? Are these more tech-focused? Are these biomedical? Are these governmental uh, uh companies that are coming in uh, with that are focusing on being close to the capital? Are these legal and accounting uh, firms that are coming uh, once again to be around the uh, the capital and the political side of things that are in that particular market? The repurposing of the spaces that are coming in uh, will really depend on how those buildings are planned to be used. In the mid 
and early 2000s, we saw quite a few of the historic buildings in uh, the metro be reconvert be converted uh, through various uh, credits, through various programs that were available for housing and for hotels and, and various things that went on. A lot of those buildings now have been redone. Uh, now we have a new situation where the buildings that are available are either new, newer, or have been recently remodeled or recently used. And so the spaces that are available and the buildings that are going to be coming available are not 50, 60 years old. They're 20, maybe 30, 40 years old. Mm -hmm. And it's a different dynamic and a different level of restoration or a different level of conversion. And so it opens up the opportunities for different types of uses. But at the same time, it creates unique, uh, unique problems because some of the incentives that are historically available for developers to utilize various tax credits and things like that aren't necessarily available because those have been utilized in the first iteration of development. Mm -hmm. I wonder if uh, if you're interested in leasing space for a company in these repurposed office buildings, if rent has dropped or perhaps for the same rent that you're paying somewhere else in town, you can relocate and, and get a more Im impressive office space. So it's, it's interesting. One of the things that we've seen, and you see it really not only in Des Moines, but you see it in other markets as well, is you'll see people upscaling. So someone that isn't in maybe three or 4,000 square feet that has been in business but is growing and needs to expand, uh, they will gladly take over someone's second-generation space and maybe go to five or 6,000 square feet. And that second-generation space might work perfectly for them as they expand and go into a new office space. Uh, and you'll see that that type of natural progression of absorption of space is typical in, in any market. Uh, what is difficult is when you get blocks of 50, 100, 100, 150,000 square feet of space where you have a footprint where each floor is maybe 20 or 25,000 square feet. What's difficult is splitting that floor. How do you deal with the common spaces? How do you deal with elevators? How do you deal with access, with fire code? Uh, how do you deal with those things? That is where the new dynamics that we're going to deal with, with restoration and renovation of these buildings changes the dynamic some of these buildings that are going to be that are, are on the market or coming on the market do not lend themselves to a residential conversion they don't have the right footprint uh to and they don't have the right window lines to turn it into mm -hmm. apartments or condos or something else like that that you would typically see in a high-rise type of redevelopment or restoration so it becomes okay how are we going to re reutilize these these type of buildings that is where the designers the the economic people, the developers can get creative, and that's the that's the level that we're at right now, where you don't know what the answer is going to be yet. It's 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 yeah. we're at the knife's edge of it. Mm -hmm. Mike McCree with us. If you've just joined a real estate broker, longtime uh, resident of Des Moines, uh, many decades in real estate in the Des Moines area, also on the faculty of ISU in real estate development. Join us, 1-866-780-9100, River to River at iowapublicradio.org. How empty office spaces are shifting the economic landscape. Of course, those offices emptier than they used to be. Generally speaking, Mike did uh, point out some exceptions there, um, but generally speaking, and how that's reshaping uh, our downtowns. Carrie Cruz joins us now, Interim Economic Development Administrator for the City of Des Moines. Carrie, welcome to the program. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for having me today. 
You've been uh, listening along here. Let's zoom out and just uh, open it wide for you to, to, to talk about what are the main things you are seeing uh, in economic development in the city of Des Moines as we emerge from this pandemic. Yeah, I think a lot of the focus downtown has been there's kind of a great shuffle that's occurring right now. Uh, the city of Des Moines is, is playing a role in that as well. Um, most are aware that the city's in the process of purchasing the 1200 Locust Street building from Nas- Nationwide Insurance. That's 360,000 square feet of space that's been on the market, that's been vacant. Um, taking that off the market really has a huge impact on overall vacancies downtown. Um, you have a similar situation with the federal government as they're wrapping up construction of their new federal courthouse. That's going to open up their historic courthouse for redevelopment, uh, open up the annex office building that they have downtown. Um, With the city, when we make our eventual move, we'll have the armory building along the river, and eventually in phase two, we'll have the police department building along the river for some great uh, redevelopment opportunities downtown. But we're, we're really seeing a lot of shuffling in the market right now. Um, mm-hmm. Mike kind of touched on, uh, you know, opportunities for companies that have adapted to the new hybrid work environment, um, looking to upgrade space. I think flight to quality is definitely a real thing. It's something we're really seeing great opportunities for companies to upgrade existing space and maybe only occupy, you know, a fraction of the yeah, space pause that on they that and, and ex- For those who might not know, what does flight to quality mean in this context? Sure. Flight to quality, um, it's, it's, uh, kind of what Mike was getting to with the upscaling. So um, the you may be in older, antiquated office space and being able to move into a class A, higher uh, quality office space that is more attractive to your workforce. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, are companies also trying to, we hear this from across the country, lure workers back to the office, carry um, uh, in, in the Des Moines area? And if so, can you give us some examples that perhaps have been successful or less successful? Yeah, sure. I, we're really seeing a mixed bag. I think, you know, the, the strategies around hybrid working is really, um, it's not a one-size-fits-all for everyone. So we are seeing some companies that are mandating employees come back to the office. Principal Financial uh, is a recent one that announced three days back in the office for all employees that live within a 30-minute drive of, of the office downtown. Um, and, and, you know, they've really placed a value on that in-person collaboration, and that is what they feel is um, a successful model for their business. Uh, Wellmark was another big one that early in the pandemic started doing some of those uh, return-to-work mandates for their employees and um, has been, you know, successful getting getting workers back downtown and giving that kind of vibrancy feeling back downtown post-pandemic. Yeah. To go back to you, Mike, uh, to w- when we have these mandatory back-to-work things, what have we learned in the past couple of years, um, in your opinion, Mike, about what works to get people back to work, saying you must or actually luring them back? What what is what is uh, What are the takeaways there that you can see? Oh, I think we've learned and I've learned from my children that when you say must, it doesn't work. When you lure, <laughs> it tends to work better. And what the landlords and what the, the, the owners and the, and the uh, businesses are figuring out is the luring is, is how you don't do it. And what we're seeing is in the space redevelopment and they're uh, increasing common spaces. They're increasing collaborative spaces. They're redeveloping and redesigning the look and the feel of the space to make it more comfortable, make it more inviting. Um, increasing uh, spaces where you have maybe 
uh, coffee bars and common spaces, uh, patios. If you've uh, driven around and seeing some of the new buildings that are being built, you'll notice the second story uh, patios that are becoming quite common uh, along uh, along the buildings that are being built and uh, off of their common spaces. So it's it's integration of those type of features is what the businesses are using to attract the employees back into the office. Mm-hmm. And the city of Des Moines, Cary, has a tax incentive package that um, lures back. Uh, tell us about that. Well, um, we recently did an incentive uh, with uh, Maverick, which was the company that uh, acquired Come and Go, and they had a pretty significant uh, workforce presence downtown. Um, this is, you know, an out-of-state company. They own a corporate office building in Salt Lake City. Um, you know, there's a very real threat that in a short amount of time, you know, given a couple years to transition, they could start looking for ways to offer those jobs remotely or transitioning some of those out-of-state. Um, and that's where we thought it was really important to uh, offer up a small incentive, a way to open the door, really build a relationship with this company to try to maintain, retain these jobs here in the city of Des Moines um, and build that long-term relationship with this company so that as they build their brand uh, east throughout the country that uh, Des Moines becomes a, a new kind of second corporate hub for that organization with great high-paying, good quality jobs. Um, it gives us a great opportunity to really showcase our hardworking, well-educated, talented workforce that we have here in Des Moines. So that's, you know, one example. Um, what we did for them, it was a 10-year incentive. They have a 10-year lease downtown. It gets paid out over the course of that 10 years. So they have to hit their benchmarks um, every year throughout the life of that agreement. Uh, if they were to dip below employment numbers or not have their employees uh, working in person downtown for at least a portion of the week. Um, those are things that that we place a lot of value on and that bring a return on investment back to the community. And so we've really tied those incentives to um, that presence of their employment downtown. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as far as you can see, it, it, it's been working out? Uh, so far, it's very new. They just moved into their new space here in the last, I think, couple of weeks. So um, they won't have their first report due to us until next year. Um, but, you know, we look forward to that long-term relationship and um, hoping they're they're here for the long haul. Okay. And um, before we go to uh, some listeners' uh, emails and callers, uh, some people, Carrie, might not be aware of, you know, why you want people downtown what is when the downtown is drained of a lot of its workers uh what sort of peripheral things i'll just say suffer yeah so you know some of the things that really make downtown special are our unique restaurants that you can't go and find anywhere else our unique shops that are owned by small business owners downtown those uh commercial businesses restaurants retailers they they really rely on foot traffic downtown and so whether that's um, events or activations, downtown housing that has people living downtown or the the workforce that works downtown, that foot traffic is critical to the success of those small businesses. Um, but they all they all work very much hand in hand. That's also what attracts people to want to live downtown, want to work downtown. Um, so they, they, they all work together. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go to our first caller. Uh, if you'd like to join our conversation, perhaps with a, a story, an experience from your community as we talk about uh, how empty offices are shifting the economic landscape in communities across the country and here in Iowa, one 780 9100 George is joining us from Sherdan. 
Um, George, welcome to the program. Yes, um, thanks. Yeah, I was thinking that your uh, listeners need to understand that this phenomenon is happening in rural Iowa, too. Um, You know, we have fewer and fewer farmers, and for some reason, uh, managers uh, of uh, co-ops seem to think that uh, merging uh, with other co-ops is the answer, and that uh, it's okay just to close down facilities in various communities without uh, even consulting the people in those communities. So we have a, a, a crisis of democracy, and consequently, like, for instance, a big co-op that covers almost half of Iowa, Landis, uh, it's closed many uh, uh, facilities and office spaces, so like in Sheridan and Peyton, and, and they haven't closed the one in Farnamville yet, but the office, uh, the big, beautiful office building is virtually empty. And uh, so I think that's, you know, that's a real... Uh, it, it damages our local uh, economy. It uh, takes away from the tax base in Sherdan, so that Sherdan has a harder time to pay for uh, uh, its uh, infrastructure. And so I, I just think it's really important that uh, people need to know that there's a crisis of democracy right here in rural Iowa. And um, do you, do, George, do you see any before before we let you go? Do you see any remedy to that? Well, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, uh, somebody said that if there's a problem with democracy, the answer is more democracy. And uh, I think uh, our uh, the people that run for uh, the boards of these co-ops need to think about whether the uh, co-op is being run in the interest of the farmers and their rural communities or whether it's just being run for the benefit of uh, the management, these big CEOs and uh, their connections with big business. Okay, George, thank you very much from Sherdan. Uh, thanks for calling. Uh, we have about a minute before we go to break. Uh, Mike, I know you work in other areas, are very acquainted with other areas of the state. Uh, what are your thoughts in, in, a, uh, in a minute or so about rural Iowa, rural communities, and how this um, transformation is affecting those areas? So it's, it's not uh, just tied to Des Moines. You're absolutely right. We, you have the same issues happening in rural communities, but it's on, a, a, if you will, a smaller scale where if you have one business that leaves or one business that closes down, it has a much more uh, dramatic effect. Um, Carrie discussed uh, the issues with restaurants in, in downtown and, and the, how that grows. There's a term and a formula called a, an economic multiplier effect. And that formula in Des Moines may have one multiplier, one number that's multiplied by. But when you get into a smaller town, it's exponential. And so you close a business that has 14 or 15 employees. It is a exponential effect on the tax basis, on the community, and on the effects of trying to fill that space. Um, for a small town or even a town like Quad Cities, Davenport, Dubuque, Council Bluffs, it has the same effect there. Okay, we'll be back in a moment with more from Mike McCree and Carrie Cruz. Join us if you have a question or a view from your community of how empty offices are shifting your community's economic landscape. Back in just a moment with more of River to River from IPR News. This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion, including above and beyond cancer.
We're back midstream in this edition of River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer talking this hour about the impact of workers not returning to offices uh, to uh, pre-pandemic levels, in most cases anyway, uh, what those empty office spaces mean for a downtown's economy. Uh, Mike McCree is with us, a real estate broker, long time uh, in the Des Moines metro area, but very acquainted with uh, other uh, areas in the state. Kerry Cruz, Interim Economic Development Administrator for the city of Des Moines. Join us, 1-866-780-9100, river to river at iowapublicradio.org. In just a moment, we're going to pivot over our focus to eastern Iowa and the city of Cedar Rapids. But first, a question from one of our listeners, uh, either Mike or, or Carrie Tackle, please. Mary in Urbandale says, with a lot of these empty buildings, they're empty because people can't find babysitters. Could businesses set up daycare services for these people? Carrie, what do you think of Mary's question there? I love this question. This is a huge uh, challenge uh, on the economic side of the table, uh, figuring out child care uh, for our community. I do think vacant office spaces provides an incredible opportunity for us to look at creating additional child care services for our community. Um, just last year, the state of Iowa had a, a wonderful grant program um, that was geared towards getting employers to work together uh, to, to, to create consortiums around child care and, and um, you know, kind of what's being viewed as this child care crisis or lack of child care. And so I do think that's a really great opportunity. So thanks for the question. Mm-hmm. Uh, joining us now, Ron Corbett, Vice President of Economic Development with Cedar Rapids uh, Metro Economic Alliance. Uh, you will remember that name. Uh, most of you will anyway. Former state representative, former mayor of Cedar Rapids joins us now. Ron Corbett, welcome to our program. Thank you and good afternoon to you and the listeners. Good afternoon. I'd like to uh, ask you a similar question that I did to Mike at the start of this program. Uh, give us a picture of Cedar Rapids, some context uh, in the run-up to the pandemic in 2020, uh, how the Cedar Rapids downtown was doing in those years prior to the pandemic, and walk us through the economic timeline through the pandemic up to the present. Well, thank you. Our downtown, just like every downtown that had, uh, you know, larger employers of their community, uh, suffered the restaurants, the foot traffic uh, suffered as the work remote uh, phenomenon took place uh, during the, the pandemic. Uh, we've rebounded a little, not back to where we were on the pre, uh, pre-pandemic from the number of uh, people in the workforce. But I don't think we're as bad as uh, some other places where they have their top one or two major employers. So when you look at a, a city like Des Moines, where you have principal, Walmart, large employers, our two largest employers in Cedar Rapids, Collins, uh, Rockwell Collins, which is now part of uh, Raytheon United Technology merger, uh, they're not in the downtown. And Transamerica, our second largest employer, uh, is not uh, located in the downtown. They're both on the outskirts of the community So when a a town has their largest employer or largest two or three employers, the impact from COVID was uh, even greater. Now, having uh, said that, we still have uh, many businesses in the downtown. Uh, Many of them have uh, come back to some type of a hybrid 
uh, model. So we are starting to see a gradual uptick of the number of employees that are working in the downtown and the number of uh, restaurants that are starting uh, to rebound in that general foot traffic that you need for, you know, coffee shops and retail to survive. Mm-hmm. In Cedar Rapids, what do you see in terms of economic development or the current major challenges connected with this theme of hybrid work and empty office spaces? Well, I would say we're going to continue to have that foot traffic challenge as many of the companies that, um, you know, located in an office type of setting have more of that flexibility to have the employees, you know, work remote or some type of hybrid where, um, you know, we have the hospitals in the downtown, both uh, Mercy, St. Luke's, which is part of Unity Point, and our doctor's clinic. Uh, So those jobs, you know, being a nurse, being a doctor, you know, being the support staff at the hospitals, you know, there there are no work remote options, you know, for them. Um, So having, you know, that strong base in our downtown Uh, We've seen our law firms uh, coming back. Many of those were uh, work remote, but now they are coming back to hybrid. You know, each each company is a little different. Some of them have Monday, Fridays, you know, work remote in the office uh, during the weekday. But this, honestly, this challenge of the the pandemic uh, doesn't match, doesn't even come close to the challenge we had in 2008 after you know, our record flood. I mean, our whole downtown was underwater and destroyed, and it was um, nine months of cleaning up before uh, the workforce was able to come downtown. And even going back into the mid-90s, we were very strong and heavy in telecommunications with MCI, Teleconnect, Global Crossing. We had thousands and thousands of telecommunication workers and when that telecommunication bust happened um, you know the downtown had to reinvent itself so between that time and the flood and now uh, people are you know positive because they they look at yes it's a challenge from covid but it's not near the challenge that we had uh, after the flood or even during the telecommunications bust yeah, yeah. The, the flood of 08 uh, and then the double whammy 09. We had the, the onset of the Great Recession there, which all we suffered all across the, the country. Uh, l- let's get some uh, listener feedback, uh, questions here. Uh, David in Cedar Rapids um, says, uh, has a critical comment. Um, um, subsidies for companies to entice them to stay in any city are a race to the bottom macroeconomically, David writes, a term that reflects corporations uh, will fleece taxpayers to maintain moderate employee roles only temporarily. Mike, let me toss that one to you. What do you think of that comment? So economic incentives can a lot of times be the third rail, uh, if you will, in real estate. And uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's, an in, it's a difficult question because it's a much longer and a much more detailed conversation that goes on behind the scenes. And it's not something that is taken lightly. 
Um, and I think I can speak for, for Kerry and probably every single city official ever elected in the history of ever, uh, that it is not something that is taken with a grain of salt to, to provide any side of economic funds to any uh, developer or to any, any company uh, to, to stay. Uh, I, I used a term earlier of, uh, of an economic multiplier effect. And that term is important, especially when it comes to economic incentives. When you have a, an employer, uh, let's say Maverick, for example, that is in relocating, uh, I think it's around 200 jobs uh, in the Des Moines area. Those 200 people already are here, okay? So they're not going anywhere, but they're going to stay here. Uh, so it's important they stay here. Those 200 people all have homes or apartments. And they live here. Uh, they are shopping they're going to the restaurants they're traveling they're buying cars there there is a exponential or it's like two or three or four depending on the community you're in the times their salary that is the actual economic effect of them being in that community uh, the same or similar multiplier effect is used when you're working with uh, um, sports venues and you're talking about concerts and events and, and, and similar things. But in this case, uh, when you're talking about jobs and you're talking about enticing people, the reason why jobs are so important is because it's something tangible. You can go in and you can count the heads and count the salaries and count the actual people on that roster and say, okay, how many people do you employ? This is how we can tell what your economic effect is out on a community. And that tells the city officials exactly what the benefit is for the community it's it's very difficult to measure um outside of that the other thing to remember is those tax incentives that are being paid are a lot of times being paid in addition to work that's being done so it's not like you're being you're being given you're given an incentive but you're not receiving anything in return there's there is taxes being paid there's an incentive being given, but it is it, it is based on work that's being done that then incentive being paid back. So it is not uh, it's not a race to the bottom. I'd like to weigh in Nash real quickly nationally. on that too. Yes, please, one, Carrie. One go ahead. common misconception about these incentives, um, you know, in the city of Des Moines, we really try to follow best practices in how we structure those incentives, and so they truly are performance based. And so not a dime has gone to Maverick at this point in time. They've signed a 10-year lease. They're making millions in tenant improvements into an existing building that was sitting empty. And they won't receive a dime of incentive until a year from now when we'll pay out their first payment if they've maintained the number of jobs we expected, if they've made the improvements into the building we've expected, if they've maintained average salaries as expected. So we have a lot of benchmarks and a lot of safeguards in our agreements, and we make sure that we're paying those out in a performance-based kind of manner. So I think there's often misconceptions that governments are giving this money up front and hoping it works out. And that's truly not the case on how we structure these. When you go through the process, and you, yeah, when you go through the process and you, you go through these economic incentive packages, it is a long, <laughs> long process. Okay, okay. And, yeah. Okay. 
Uh, I wanted to get back to you, uh, to Ron Corbett, in just a moment. Um, we have only about five minutes left. So, Mike, uh, we haven't addressed other communities in Iowa, and I know uh, you are familiar with uh, other communities that we haven't discussed here. What about the Waterloo Cedar Falls area, Quad Cities, uh, Iowa City, Coralville, North Liberty area? What are your words about them? Because we see uh, from Ron Corbett's description, uh, Cedar Rapids has a, a much different experience than Des Moines. Well, yeah, and Ron, you know, to his credit and to Cedar Rapids' credit as well, what they've done since the flood and since the trade show and, and just in the in the general uh, resiliency of the community and how they've renovated and, and grown and what their economic uh, development groups have done in that community has been phenomenal as well. Uh, if you drive through the community and drive and see what's gone on, not only in Cedar Rapids, but then even between Cedar Rapids and Iowa City, what's going on in the North Liberty area and in that entire 380 corridor, it's, it's phenomenal. Um, it it's, is really uh, amazing the amount of development across the state that we have. Uh, in our, in, and if you look at some of the larger sub-markets, if you will, uh, start in the northeast part of the state, Dubuque went through a major, major roadworks project over the last few years, expanding huge amounts of highway structure, opening up amazing amounts of sites for new development. Dubuque is not the flattest area of the state as well, but you have an unbelievable amount of sites now that are available for office, retail, industrial, hotels, motels, convenience areas. They're they're set up for the next several decades of development just on the infrastructure work that they've done in that community. It's phenomenal what's happening in that area. You go to the Quad Cities. The Quad Cities is seeing growth and development. It is theirs is uh, more structured in that it's not uh, it's not booming uh, it's very tepid uh, but all it will take is a couple people coming in saying yep I'm ready to go and it will explode uh, Iowa City Cedar Rapids we talked about what's going on there with the interchange uh, that's just being completed along 380 and I-80 with what's going on in the Marion area uh, where the growth is so strong they're talking about uh, holding off and uh, putting a moratorium in uh, with all the growth that's happening in Hiawatha, with all the growth that's happening in that entire corridor, it is it's phenomenal what's happening in, in the Cedar Rapids area. Mm-hmm. You continue down in the southern part of the state, uh, Ottumwa is absolutely primed for more growth. Uh, they just need somebody to come in and do it. Uh, you have other small markets and other small pockets around the state, whether you get into Council Bluffs, which is just you know right across from Omaha, uh, Council Bluffs has things going for it. A lot of times the lure and the attractions gets sucked up by Omaha, but there are new developments, new projects, new things happening in Council Bluffs that there are benefits of being in Iowa versus Nebraska that they are receiving the benefits of. Same thing in Sioux, Fall, in, uh, in Sioux City. There's benefits to being in uh, Sioux wanna- City versus Sioux Falls. Very good. A very good survey. Thank you, Mike McCree. Ron Corbett, the last word to you in our final uh, minute or two from uh, eastern Iowa there in Cedar Rapids. Uh, pretty pretty rosy picture being painted by Mike there. You agree with that when you look to the future? Well, I do. And it's a combination of, you know, you need workers, the businesses that, you know, get in their cars every day and come to the downtown and work and then leave. But you also need to build that base of people that live uh, in the downtown and you know Des Moines done a great job on that other communities have we were probably a little slower to getting downtown housing in Cedar Rapids but I 
just came from a project, uh, a Brickstone project, a affordable housing project that's, you know, going to add another 200 people to the downtown. So when you get that base of people living there, that really helps uh, generate some consistency for the retail businesses, the restaurants, the coffee shops, and the vibrancy when you see people, you know, walking on the street. Um, that's what adds vibrancy. Right, and, and Ron Corbett, but this is here to stay, that a certain percentage of our workers that we had pre-pandemic are, are going to be either hybrid or staying at home and working. We have, to, we have to just adjust to that, you see, right? Well, there'll be certainly adjustment. I think, you know, there's been, even in the last uh, two years, we've seen companies like, even though they're not in our downtown, Collins, on October 1st, uh, they said all employees back to the office. So there, there has been some movement from the larger companies around the country to move the people, you know, back into the office and kind of do a little restriction on the remote working. Remember, Cedar Rapids generally is a manufacturing town. We got close to 18,000 manufacturing jobs. So companies like Quaker, who are in our downtown and Ingredion and Cargill, all these manufacturers, you know, they don't really have the remote work option and never did, you know, even during the pandemic because the governor made manufacturing essential service. So, well, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you very much for joining us, Ron Corbett, Vice President of Economic Development with the Cedar Rapids Metro Economic Alliance. Uh, Mike McCree, real estate broker, also on the faculty of ISU in real estate development. And Carrie Cruz, Interim Economic Development Administrator for the City of Des Moines. Thank you all very much for joining us. Thank you very much. Today's program produced by Samantha McIntosh with technical support from Tony Sarabia. News Buzz Edition tomorrow. Hope you'll join us.